Open your Bibles to Psalm 61 this morning. Psalm 61, if, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under a chair in the row in front of you. You can turn to page 607 and follow along. Now, what has your attitude been since Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, Friday morning, maybe still today? Um, what is the condition of your heart since you saw the results of the vote on Tuesday? How have you responded? How should you respond? <laughs> Amen. God's in control. Absolutely. I was thinking of wanting to bring a word of encouragement to you, and I thought, you know, where should I go in the Bible to find a word of encouragement? I might have to step out of our study through the Psalms. I might have to get out of that. But I thought before I made that decision, I should read Psalm 61. And then I read Psalm 61, and I said, well, the Lord has it all figured out. Uh, far in advance, and uh, it seems like every psalm is hit right where we, we need it to hit, and uh, so we're, in, we're just going to keep on going. And typically, uh, God's plans are far better than our plans, uh, so we try to figure it out, but uh, here we are, Psalm 61, and God's word is sufficient. I really hope you see that. I hope you see that no matter what the topic, no matter what the challenge, no matter what you're facing, God's word is sufficient for what you need today. Um, it doesn't mean that every scripture, every place speaks specifically right to where you might be struggling or, or to the things going on in your life, but so many times it does, and it's a, it's a blessing. And uh, God is, is good to us, and he's given us his word, and we're going to dig into it. God has chosen not to give the state of Michigan a reprieve. We talked about this last week. Uh, God has chosen that the state of Michigan incur greater judgment. And God has ordained harder days ahead as the citizens of this state have chosen to continue to do evil and even to increase their evil. And I speak specifically of Proposition 3. And uh, yes, we should, be, we should be grieving today and, and we should uh, sorrow um, for, for the decision that the citizens of this state have made. And uh, the citizens have chosen to continue rebelling against the King of Kings and to do so in even more spectacular fashion. Uh, it, it is not... It's not a reprieve, and it's not going to get better. It, it is going to get worse, and we, we don't know the ramifications of that, uh, but uh, this is what God has ordained for us. He's ordained darker days, and so we grieve, and yet we should not be in despair, and I encourage you to go back and uh, look up the lyrics to How Firm a Foundation today. for the very moment that we're in, that it'd be good for you to read through it slowly, sing it slowly, sing it fast, sing it whatever tempo you want. If you're singing by yourself a cappella, you can just set your own tempo, and uh, you can sing in whatever key fits your voice. So uh, we need to sing it. And uh, there's so much, so much good in there, especially as it comes to fiery trials, uh, the dross to consume, and, and Doug continued praying about some of those very same things in his prayer of praise. We, we need to hear that truth today. And uh, I was discouraged, I, I confess, I was discouraged, I was tempted to despair, and I've been tempted throughout this week to despair, but God's word points us in the proper direction, and that's why you need to be in the word of God, because God's word reorients us. It is our firm foundation, but it's also a lamp to our feet and a light to our path in the very moment that we face, and we need to hear from it. So that's what we're going to do today, we're going to dig into God's word, and we're going to apply it to our situation and uh, seek to be ministered to by God. So before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, without the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to remove our blinders and to unstop our ears and to soften our hearts, we will leave here unchanged. We will leave here the same way we came in. And Lord, that would be very bad for us. And so we ask for your spirit to work through your word to transform us. I thank you for the transformative power of, of worship in the word as we have sung songs that come straight from Scripture to encourage us, to help us, to point us in the right direction. And now we continue that worship in the Word as we hear the Word preached. So we ask that you would speak, you speak clearly, and that there would be no confusion, and that you would transform us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 61, follow along in your Bible as I read. To the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. 
Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is God's gracious, clear, concise revelation to us. May we listen to it this morning. We come to another congregational psalm, another song given to the choir master. This is a song to sing. This isn't just a southern gospel song. Some of you might have had that southern gospel song ringing through your head. Yeah, a few of you. I knew Dale would. I was was counting on Dale. Uh, But it's not just for those who like southern gospel. This is a song for the entire congregation. This is a song written for guitars, so it does go well with southern gospel and uh, with country western or any other version you have. So that's the stringed instruments. Now we know that there weren't guitars, but the lyre is a form of that. And so that's what we have. This is another song written by David. We're told that it's of David. But I want you to see something as we break, in a sense, the context of what we've been looking at in the last four psalms. This is a song of general comfort and encouragement. The specific context isn't given, uh, and some of the commentators have some ideas. I'm not sure where they got those ideas, uh, but, but they know the Bible better than I do. But, but there's, no, there's no specific context given by God. And therefore, when God doesn't give a specific context in the Psalms, I think it's best to leave it as general as possible. Because there are specific Psalms for specific times and specific things, and that is given in the context. But here, this general Psalm is to be sung anytime your heart is faint. This song of comfort and encouragement is for every time of discouragement. Now, this isn't the only psalm like that. There's 150 good psalms in the Bible. And some of them are, many of them are songs of encouragement and comfort. And so find those. Many of you know those. You can think of specific ones that are your favorites. And so we apply this truth to this situation, our situation. Now, I want to give you a very important thing to remember And maybe if you haven't heard it before, you might want to write it down. Interpretation is one. Application is many. Interpretation is one. Application is many, which means we need to understand the interpretation of the text as God has intended. What is God's meaning in the text? And we draw that text, that meaning out of the text. We exegete, big theological term for to take out of, take the meaning out of the text. We don't eisegete, we don't read into the text the meaning. So we don't come with our problems and our struggles and search the scripture for something that makes sense to us in this moment. We take our struggles and the things that we are in and we go to the Bible to find what it has to say to us. And then we apply that meaning to our situation. Don't confuse interpretation and application. Start with understanding what the Bible's saying, and then take those timeless principles, commands, exhortations, encouragements, and apply them to your moment. That's what we're going to do today. So hopefully you will, uh, you have already know how to do this, I hope, but if not, you'll begin to learn and uh, see how this is done. <laughs> not because I'm not great at it, uh, but because that's my text, uh, my task, and that's my goal, and that's what God has told me to do as a pastor. So what I see in Psalm 61 is three requests, three requests. Uh, The first two requests are built on faith in God. So he'll give the request, and he'll give his underlying faith that causes him to pray that prayer. And then the third request is followed by a statement of commitment. Based upon what I prayed, based upon the entire song, this is what I'm going to do. So what's the first request? He asks God to lead, lead me to the high rock. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's the first request. Lead me to the high rock. This is a song to be sung, a song to be prayed. And it begins with a familiar request from David. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. He says this numerous times. And he says this because he recognizes that if God does not hear him, and what he means by that is if God does not answer his request in the affirmative, things are at an end. He prays in faith to God, and the first thing he says is, God, listen to me, answer my prayer. Respond to what I'm asking. Because if God doesn't respond, there's no hope. I want you to hear that. If God doesn't respond to our prayers, we have no hope. Pack it up, pack it in. 
We're all done. There's nowhere to go with that. So what we do in times like this is we are faced with the inadequacies of who we are, and we go to God and we said, Lord, hear my cry. Listen to me, and in that is an implicit desire for it to be answered in the affirmative. Because unlike marriage, it's not enough just to be heard. I wish you'd just listen to me. I wish you'd just hear me. You don't want me to do anything? Nope, just want you to listen. That's not God, and that's not our prayer life. We don't just go to God to talk to be heard. Of course we go to be heard. He always hears, but we want God to respond. We have needs. We have things we need God to do, and so God must respond. Without that, we have no hope. And so David's faith is declared in that request. God is his only hope. And he gives a situation of this song of prayer. He doesn't give the specific, but he gives a general. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. He, I, I think it's this way. I'm not sure if this is a proper interpretation, but it's how I hear this and how I think it best to be said in our day and age. At the end of my rope, I call to you. I'm at the, I'm at the end of the earth. I mean, I'm, like at a, I'm, at, I'm way out there. I seem far away from you. I'm at the end of myself. And my heart is faint. I'm discouraged. I'm weak. I'm lacking that internal strength. I, I'm, I'm, I've run out of spiritual steam. This is his moment. Now, now, what brought that about? What's the specific circumstance? It doesn't matter, which means anytime your heart is faint, anytime you're discouraged, anytime you're spiritually weak, anytime you've come to the end of your rope, this psalm is a psalm to be sung. It's a song to go to. The general truth is great. And in this moment, what does he ask for? He asks to be led to the higher rock. What does that mean? (laughs) Hopefully, uh, you are more fans of poetry than I am, and you understand poetry better than I do. But this is the idea of the waves are crashing, those things are going, and you need to seek higher ground. You need a rock of stability in the midst of the crashing waves. And this is a rock that is taller than you are. But it's also higher in the sense of it's not just uh, 10 feet tall, so it it helps me get out of, of, of of the crashing waves. This is a refuge that we can't climb on our own. Lead me to the, take me to the higher rock. We need a refuge that God must enable us to climb. We need a rock so high, a refuge so tall, that we can't even get to the top of it without God's help. This is how much of a refuge, how much of a fortress, this is how high it needs to be. I can't climb it on my own, so lead me there. We need a refuge that is so high and so tall because we need it to be unassailable by man. We need a fortress that cannot be, that cannot be broken into, that cannot be breached. We need someone who will come and take that task and, and take us to that high place of safety. That's what we need. We need something greater than we can provide ourselves. And who is that rock? On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. What's our rock? The rock is Christ. He's the the rock that we need. He's the rock that we have to be led to. He's the rock that is the only place of safety. And so in this moment, we see the gospel call right here. Every person needs Christ. They need the rock of Jesus Christ for every moment of their life, for every time of trouble. This is our only salvation, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one can climb that rock on their own. By grace, we're saved through faith. It's God's goodness to save us. It's something that we need to depend on him for. And this is the good news, that in the time of your greatest need, in the time of your greatest trouble, there is a rock that is higher than you. This rock is Jesus Christ. Trust in him, cling to him, And if you're not a Christian, be saved today by confessing your sin and trusting in him alone as the only rock not only to save you from the trouble you're in, but from the sins of your life and the eternal punishment that awaits you. The gospel of Jesus Christ right here, the rock, is Christ. Did David know that? Yeah, I I believe he knew that. Did he know his name would be Jesus? No, but he knew it was God, Almighty God, Yahweh. He knew it was the Messiah. He knew he was trusting in the only true God. And we know that that God's name is Jesus Christ, and we trust in him. Notice this request is based on faith. Notice his confidence, verse 3. For you have been my refuge. You have been a strong tower against the enemy. Has David been here before? 
Like, like, you know, every song is like again and again and again. I mean, how many times have we seen the word refuge in the last two months? Refuge, fortress, strong tower. How many times? Because this is the constant theme of David's life. It's the constant theme of our lives. Notice he says, lead me to the high rock, for you have been, past tense, in the past, you've been my refuge. You have been my fortress. You've been my strong tower against the enemy. I am trusting in you because you have been my protection in the past. You have been my protection. That's why I'm praying, because you are my protection. This is David's statement of faith. God has been his shelter. God has been his sanctuary. God has been his safe haven. Has that been true for you? Have you seen this time and time and time again in your past? Do you not have, as a Christian, years, some of you, decades of God's faithfulness, his protection, his goodness to you? Trust in him. He's proven himself. And when you go to him for what you need today, you can base that request on what he's done in the past. Lord, you've done this for me many times. You did it here. You did it there. You provided it here. This is why we must remember God's faithfulness to us and the ways that he's answered our prayer requests because in those moments, it is part of the faith that we have in God and the confidence. And it's part of the foundation for our praying in this moment. God, you have done this. Please do this again. And another part of the beauty of a general psalm is that this enemy, you've been a strong tower against the enemy in the past, so whatever this enemy is, it can be any enemy. This can be a physical enemy, as we've seen in the last four psalms. It can be a spiritual enemy, the world, the flesh, the devil. It can be the enemy of death that took a loved one recently. It can be the enemy of sin that has captured you as you've given in to temptation. So this enemy is left undefined, which means what is the enemy that is attacking you right now? What is the enemy that is going after you? What is the situation that causes your heart to be faint this morning? What is the challenge and the attack? What has you? This is the enemy. God is your fortress. He's your strong tower, no matter the enemy. So apply it to you and your situation. What enemy do you need to be delivered from this morning? Interpretation is one. Application, many. Every enemy can be brought in here because the truth is left general for that very purpose. So lead me to the high rock. The second request found in verses four and five, let me take refuge under your wings. Let me take refuge under your wings. There are two parts to David's request here. And I summarize them this way, take care of me and protect me. Take care of me and protect me. Let me dwell in your tent forever is a poetic way of saying, be my father and I'll be your child. It's another way of saying, take me into your dwelling and meet all of my needs. It's Psalm 23, be my shepherd, I'll be your sheep. Take me into your dwelling. Bring me into your home. Bring me into the place of safety, but also bring me into the place of comfort and meeting needs. This is the picture of the Father. But then there's a second part. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. That's the poetic way of saying, protect me. David was obviously more than a shepherd. Obviously, he was also a chicken farmer. You can see that. You always thought it was just a shepherd. No, He also raised chickens, so (laughs) I just feel more and more like David every day, right? So many illustrations. I mean, this is all over the scripture, and uh, if you've got chickens, you know what this looks like, especially with the chicks. They, 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 They have their wings. The illustration makes it obvious what he's saying. Now, notice, this is, this is poetry, and, I, and I'm not a poet, and I, I don't like poetry. I don't read poetry. I have a hard time understanding poetry. Some of you get it better than I do, but this is the beauty of God's word. This really is beautiful. See, if it was me, I would just say it like I said it there. God is saying, David's praying, take care of me and protect me. Everybody get it? All right, straightforward, to the point. There's no picture, there's no nuance, there's no beauty in that. David says, take me into your dwelling and spread your wings over me. And you're like, what in the world? Do you see, you gotta see the picture. You guys, the poetry there. And, and what does poetry do that just didactic teaching, a straight lecture doesn't do? It touches the emotions of your heart. It moves you emotionally. And now I don't move emotionally very well. 
right? I'm pretty dead inside many, much of the time. I, I, so, so for me, I, I, some of you is like, you're emotionally, it's like poetry so lovely, Shakespeare and all this stuff, you know, I can't wait to read Shelley or whatever it is. You know, no, that's not me. So I'm, I'm not there. I was like, just tell me what it is and we'll deal with it. I, but, but notice something's missing there. So these images are more than just telling us the truth. They're giving us the emotion that we need to feel in these truths, with these truths. So these pictures are poetic pictures to bring about not only the truth, but to tie that truth to emotion. And then we put a, 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 a lyre being played behind it, and we all sing it, and we're all moved. So it's one thing to read How From a Foundation. It's another thing to sing How From a Foundation. It's another thing for us all to sing How From a Foundation with the instruments, with the moving, and all... It's different. It moves us emotionally, and we need that. That's why the Psalms are here, because the Psalms not only give truth to our moment, they move us emotionally when we need to be moved emotionally with the right emotion. This isn't emotionalism. It's not emotion for the sake of emotion. It's truth tied to the movement of our emotions. I think of this. What this is saying here, I'll put it in not poetry, but in more poetic terms. Think of being cozied up under your father's arm on the couch, sitting in front of the crackling fire in the fireplace while the blizzard blows and the wind howls outside, and maybe you have a cup of hot chocolate in your hand as well, and everything's good, and you are safe, and you are cared for, and you are warm, and the father's love is there, and you do not have a care in the world. Take me into your dwelling and spread your wings over me. Does the chick fear under the wings of the hen? It's all good. Now, we know that that illustration is not very good in one sense. We see the picture. We feel the emotion. When you see a hen with her wings over the chick, it's, it moves you. It, it shows you. It's a picture of that. But we know that the hen is not enough, but God is, is greater. But the picture is that movement of these things. It's more than truth. It is truth poetically expressed to move us emotionally. So praise God for poetry. All right, did everybody hear me say that? I want to make sure I don't miss it. Praise God for poetry. Praise God for great songwriting. Praise God for great songs. So there's two things that great and mature Christians, when I say great, I mean that in a specific kind of way. Great Christians, mature Christians have had down through the ages. They've had their Bible and they've had a hymnal. Now, you can add to that. You can have a Bible, a hymnal, and you can have YouTube. And you can find all kinds of songs, and you can read God's Word, and then you can listen to God's Word song. You can have good songs on your playlist, in your hymnal, in your psalter, whatever it needs, and sing them. Sing them. So we read and we sing, because we need more than just the truth declared. We need the truth sung, because we need our emotions moved, because our heart is faint. You come in today, and your heart is faint, you're probably going to get more out of the song service than the preaching, emotionally. Yeah, we can have a lot less preaching and a lot more singing. I get, I get it. That's because the now, if you come in and you're encouraged and you're strong, like you know, Pastor, give it to me. I want to hear something that moves me. I need to be challenged. Give it to me. But you come in faint. You're like, you know, I just want to be ministered to today, Pastor. Just, just quiet down. Just <laughs> sing a soft song. You know. There's different moments, and so the Psalms have different moods in different moments. This is a song for the discouraged. I don't think David is rocking out on the lyre with the heavy drums behind it, okay? Now, maybe in the chorus, he kind of broke into some, some heavy rhythm there, but probably most of the time it was more quiet, a song of encouragement. But we noticed as we sung our, the songs that we sung that they would move, and they would move, and they would start maybe more softly and more powerfully because we would talk about the things that we were discouraged in, and then we'd give the answer of hope, but that's louder and stronger and more firm. And so we're moved, we're, we're comforted, and we're strengthened. We're ministered to, and then we're challenged, and we sing our song of faith in great, a, a great volume. So those things go together. But notice this prayer request is based on David's faith. He says, because you have abundantly provided for me, take care of me. Give me refuge because you have abundantly provided for me in the past. He says, you have heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. So he says, I've confessed my faith and trust in you. I've made promises and you've made me your heir. 
on that basis, care for me. I've made promises. I've confessed my faith. I've confessed my trust. I have turned to you, and now you've made me your heir. Heir, not error, heir. Now care for me. Not because I deserve it or have earned it, but because I am your child by faith, and you are my father, who's made me joint heirs with all the saints. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You've given me the inheritance of all who trust in you. You've made me your son, and I inherit it all like all those other people trusting in you. We have a heritage in Jesus Christ. We are heirs with Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ. We, it is all ours. Everything that you are looking for from protection and provision has been provided in Christ, and it is yours. When? Right now, you are not left without what you need. You see, I, I just can't face it. It's too much. I'm overwhelmed. I can't make it another day. I can't take it another hour. Lord, you know, you know it's too much. He says, no, it's not. Because I'm here. I have provided. I provided in the past. I will provide now. You have everything you need in Christ. Everything. And so the fact that we are complaining, the fact that we are grumbling, the fact that we are whining and moaning, the fact that we are despairing and discouraged is not anything that has nothing to do with the abundance that is Christ, the abundance that is ours. It has to do with our lack of faith in him and a wrong response to the challenges of the day. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that what you're, what you're facing is not extremely difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not minimizing your situation at all. In fact, I will be happy to maximize it for you. I will make it worse. Just come and talk to me after the service. You can tell me what's going on, and I'll just tell you how it's worse than you think. You say, well, that's not very encouraging. And I'll say, is God bigger than that? How about we just exaggerate it? You know, you know how spouses do sometimes. They come, there's a problem, and they come running, and they exaggerate it. I didn't say which spouse. I didn't say which spouse. It could be me. Hey, the situation is exaggerated. Like we can own, we as Christians can own all the exaggeration because God is greater than even the exaggeration. All that we have provided in Christ is greater than if we make it worse in our own mind, and we do. But God is greater. The situation is not as bad, not because it's not as bad as we think it is. It's probably far worse than you think it is. Now do you feel better? No, I don't feel better by making, no, but Christ is greater. Christ has given you more. The provisions are more. Everything that is Christ is yours. You have everything you need and then some. I am just reminded, and we've been going over it in the history class, reminded of Gideon and 300 men. Gideon and 300 men. How many men does it take to turn this nation around? How many men does it take for revival and reformation to strike the United States of America? If 300 can beat 100,000, how many does it take to beat 300 million? It doesn't matter how many there are, does it? You say, I'm all by myself. Yeah, talk to Elijah. I'm the only one who hasn't bowed the knee. I take on the false prophets. Do we win a great victory? But I am just at the end of my rope. I have to go run and hide. I, I can't make it. I'm the only guy. God says, no, that's not true. But it doesn't matter if he was the only guy, does it? In fact, God doesn't even need a guy. He can do it on his own. So the fact that we're defeated, the fact that we think it's all over, the fact that we think we should just quit, we should just give in, we should just all start praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come now. All we have to do, our only hope is rapture. Our only hope is to get out of here. Our only hope is the second coming. That's not the answer. That's a wrong view. Because we are not seeing the provision that we have in Christ. We have the heritage of those who fear your name. Did David fear his name? Did Gideon fear his name? Did Samuel fear his name? Did Paul? These men of God, and it's not just the men. Did Deborah fear his name? Did Hannah fear his name? These Men and women of God who feared him and feared his name were given everything they needed for the moment they were in. So do you need to go back and read? Do you need to read about Esther? Do you need to be, read about the extinction of the Jewish people and how at the very last moment it just so happens that? Read Esther. 
It just so happens. It just so happens. It just so happens so many times. Isn't that amazing? The coincidences are crazy. It's almost like there's a God in control. It's almost as if something behind the scenes is working to do things that we could never see, we could never imagine. And at the last minute, I mean, the gallows are built 75 feet high. And the, I think it's, tell me if I'm wrong, the night before, all the way up into that, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, God's kind of people were going to be wiped out. And then in the last moment, God turns it and flips it around, not to not only not being wiped out, but to a moment of victory. I will tell you this. It's dark and getting darker, which only means that God's redemption and God's salvation is going to come more quickly. I have to see it that way. It's biblical. I said God could be gracious and give us a reprieve. Or God can make it worse because that just speeds up the timeline on his deliverance. Now, I, not, no promises about the United States of America. God's deliverance in this world, in every nation, in his time, it just speeds it up. But in that moment when things are sped up and things are darker, then we're faced with living in darker times and we do not think we're adequate to the task. And you are correct. You are not adequate on your own. But is this not what Mordecai said to Esther? Were you not placed in the kingdom for such a time as this? Is this not your time? Did God not know who you are? Did God not create you the way you are and place you in this time for this moment? This is who our God is. You are exactly the right person for this exact moment wherever he's placed you. You're exactly the right thing. You say, well, I'm nothing. That's right, you're nothing. We are nothing. We are nothing in and of ourselves. It is not us. It is the God who empowers us. It's the God who guides us. It's the God who delivers. And Gideon said, who am I? I'm the least of all my brothers in, in Israel. We're Benjamites, and I'm hiding out, and I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. Let's think about that for a minute. And God works the victory because it's God who gives the victory. It's not us. And we better remember that. Because we have begun to think that if we just go and do the work, if we just go and vote, if we just go and do these things, that that's, that's, that's what's going to win. Now, God can use whatever means he chooses to use, and so I told you to vote. I told you to vote the right way. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's the right thing to do, but that's not where the victory's found. The victory is found in the movement of God, in the spirit of God, through the word of God, across the people who are rebellious against God. And the opening line of that Proposition 3 is where it was missed. And I have to say that even many Christians miss that point. They get caught up on, on the murder of unborn children. Absolutely horrendous. They get caught up in all the, the transgender and the reproductive surgeries and all that. They get caught up, absolutely terrible, wicked. But they miss the point where it says, we the people are going to establish a new constitutional right. We are going to define reproductive rights. And of all the things in that, we still miss the idea that that high-handed rebellion against God is what brings God's judgment. If we miss that point, then we will fight the battles at the wrong place. It's a religious war. And I don't mean it's religion on religion. I mean, it's a spiritual war that has to deal with the hearts of people. And of course, the hearts of people will be enacted throughout society, even to the point of politics and voting. We try to make sure you see the whole thing. There's this idea that we thought we could just, you know, if we just cast a few votes, if we just if we do a few things, then everything will just turn around. No, obviously not. So what do we do now? What do we do now? We understand that you have given me a heritage of those who fear your name. I am his son. I am his daughter. I am an heir with Christ. I have everything I need for the time and the moment that I'm in. So that's our confidence. That's our confidence. But what if the one true God isn't your refuge? What if you are not a part of the godly heritage that fears Almighty God? What if you're not a believer? You need to hear this clearly. You will receive nothing of the Lord. You will have no help from Jesus Christ. Your prayers are not heard. They will not be answered. You will have to be helped by whatever God or gods that you are trusting in. So turn to Christ. 
the only Savior, the only refuge, the only rock of salvation, turn to him and be saved today and find the help you need for all of your troubles and trials. But most importantly, receive the forgiveness for your sins that has brought you under the judgment of God. You are a rebel, and you need to submit to the king. And then David gives the last request in verse 6, prolong the life of the king. Bless the king. Bless the king. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. At this point in the psalm, we might, we might be tempted to end the prayer. We might be like, I think I can pray one through five, but I can't pray six and seven. We don't want our rulers to have their life prolonged. We don't want our rulers to have their reign continued indefinitely. We've been asking God to remove the rulers that are over us. But this is where we must start with what David means <laughs> before we apply it to our situation. So if you're reading through this and you're just thinking all of it from your perspective in the situation you're in, you can't do that because you have to understand it as David intended it, as the Holy Spirit intended it through David, so we get the interpretation and then the application. So what's the interpretation? The interpretation is this. Who's the king? Who's the king when David wrote this? David's the king. Okay. It's not our governor, it's not our president, it's not talking about this moment, it's talking about King David. David is the king. He's referring to himself in the third person because this song is written for what purpose? Congregational singing. So if he said, um, prolong the life, prolong my life, he wouldn't be talking about the king, it'd just be a personal prolonging of the person's life who's singing it. But we sing, prolong the life of the king, and David is the king, and the congregation sings, Lord, bless David's reign. Prolong his rule. So here he is in poetic hyperbole asking for God to pour out his blessing. Listen to how exaggerated his request is. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever. May my reign never end. Sing it, congregation. May Pastor Fields rule and reign never end. Wait, no, wait a second. That's not, that's not. See, what happens when you apply the truth wrongly, you blow it. Okay. So that's the idea. But that's the idea. Lord, bless the rule of the king in such a magnificent way. That's what he's saying. That's the, the, the hyperbole of the idea of all generations enthroned forever. Yet we see even in his hyperbole about himself, the ultimate fulfillment that would have to be found in a divine king, a divine Messiah. We see this pointing to Christ, the one who will rule and reign for all generations. The one who will be enthroned forever before God. Did David see that that clearly? We don't know, but we can because we have all of God's revelation to look back on. But notice the prayer, appoint steadfast love, verse seven, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. David recognizes the king's need. He recognizes his own need for God's blessing. Apart from God's blessing, no ruler will succeed. And you say, I don't know about that. I've seen all kinds of really wicked, pagan, People who deny God, I've seen them have all kinds of success. I will say this, David recognized that the wicked have success, and it bothered David greatly. There's some psalms in there that talk about that. And yet, I will say this, I've said it before, they will succeed all the way up to the moment when they don't. The winning team is always winning up until the moment the other team takes the lead. And you can lead all the way through the game, but who's winning at the end when the buzzer sounds and the clock ticks down? So you can't look at the clock that way. You can't look at the scoreboard that way. You can't look at things from that perspective. No king will succeed apart from God's blessing. And more than that, the king that we need most, the king who will reign forever is not a human king. Every king, every ruler, every human king has flaws and sins. Therefore, every human ruler, including David, reminds us of our need for a divine king, a perfect king, a, sin, a sinless king, King Jesus. And so this prayer is fulfilled and fully answered, not in David himself, but in David's son, King Jesus. And that reminds us after every election, whether we are encouraged or discouraged by the results, whether things look to be going in a good or bad direction, we must remind ourselves not to trust in human rulers. I don't care who the human ruler is. Don't trust in human rulers. Don't trust in human rulers who are Christians. 
Now, do we trust in them at all? Now, I'm not saying don't put any trust. in you. There's, there's an ab, a, 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 not an absolutism to that. But the idea is we don't place our trust in human rulers. Don't place your trust in David, Israel. Place your trust in King Jesus. And pray for the king who rules over you. Even a great king, even a righteous king, even a just king is not king enough because David blew it. He blew it more than once. Every king blows it. Sometimes in horrific fashion. In that moment, though, we are reminded that no human ruler is enough. We need King Jesus. And the Psalms back that up. Psalm 118, 8 to 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Do you need to hear this song, this psalm today? It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Oh, there it is, politicians. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man. Notice, the prince that's the son of man, but in the son of God, we put our trust, the King Jesus, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. The best ruler, the best kings, the best Christians will all die. And when they die, their plans die with them. Don't put your trust in men. Don't put your trust in politicians, especially. How many times have you learned that lesson So I will say this, sometimes it's better for us if those that we wanted to win don't win. What do you mean? Because of what would have happened if they would have won and our trust in those princes and them uh, letting us down once again is some of of the problem that we have because we keep putting our trust in politicians and not our trust in God. Now, notice this one is not, this prayer request is not based on on faith, it leads and ends with a, with a commitment. There's a therefore. Verse 8, therefore I will praise your name and perform my duties. So you want to know how to live in dark times? You want to know how to live in times of discouragement? You want to know how to live when things are really bad? Here it is. Memorize this verse. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is how we live. Now, this is not only how we live in times of judgment. This is also how we live in times of blessing. See, what happens is the American church has been blessed for generations. It's been blessed for decades. It's been blessed for so long. And how did we live in times of blessing? We got fat and sassy and happy and comfortable and all that. And now we're reaping the consequences of a of a, of, a, of a sick church, not just a sick society. So we forgot this when we should have remembered it. And so it's times like these, it's in times of difficulty, it's in times of trials, it's in times of those things that we are drawn to Christ. He reminds us how much we need him because we forgot when things were good. And so this is how we live at all times. I praise your name at all times, I perform my duties at all times, in good times or in bad So really, the Christian life is simply consistently and faithfully living out the same basic principles at all times. Stay with it. Stay faithful. Stay consistent. Good times, bad times. What do I do today in bad times? I get up and did what I did during good times if I'm obeying God and performing my duties. What do I do in good times? Same thing I did when things were bad. I pray, I trust, I work, I obey God. This is how we live. We live that way from the time we trust Christ until he takes us home or until he returns. And this is, what we li- this is what we do. We're faithful. We're consistent because the commands don't change based upon the circumstances. So what do we do? We praise him and perform our duties. We worship God and fulfill your responsibilities. Trust God and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You learned that when you were a kid. It hasn't changed. Same truth. If you didn't learn that as a kid, you should have. All right, that's all I had to shake. No, you didn't learn that one. We'll teach that Sunday school song tonight in prayer meeting. All right, you can learn it. Now, there is much work for us to do. It's not that our work changes, but in darker times, there might be greater need. I'm also saying that in times of blessing, there was more work than we thought, and that's where we failed. But now the times are dark, and there's much work for us to do. Our duties might be increased. And I will say this, what's one of the duties that has been forgotten in the contemporary church for decades? One of our duties is to pray. It is a forgotten duty. And it is not only our duty to pray privately. We are to pray as God's people. We are to gather corporately as a demonstration of our dependence. 
our faith, and our need for God to act. If you have not been coming to Sunday night service, and you do not like where the nation is going, if you do not like the way things are, if you wish for things to change, then what should you be doing? You should be gathering on Sunday night for us to pray together, not just for the nation, not even for the state, but for Owasso, for our situation, for our place, for our friends, for our family, for the things that we're facing, for the trials that are in our lives. The hard times are here, and we keep thinking that we think God's going to change things with a vote or change things with a politician, or maybe with some private prayer and some repentance. Yes, do those things. But we need to gather together corporately, and if we do not feel the pain of the situation that we're in and cry out to God together, what will it take? What will it take? For this church, our church, for this people, for us together, to gather and cry out to God with greater desperation, with greater need, What do you, <laughs> you say, it's really bad, it's getting worse. I mean, I'm at the end of my rope. I, I just, Lord, come back. How about pray for revival? How about pray for reformation? How about pray for us to get the gospel to the place that we live, for people to be saved? This is our opportunity to see our need and respond. But if God had given us a reprieve, given us what we wanted, what would I be preaching today? I wouldn't be preaching this. We... We, when I say we, I, I mean me too. Okay, so if I want to say you, I'd say you. I'm saying we. We have not prayed in faith. We have not made prayer the priority. I've talked about this many times in the past, but it keeps coming back to us. As a people, will we gather for prayer? Will we come together tonight? And not just this, so, you know, like, well, okay, I'll come this Sunday night and, and pastor will get off my back or something like that. What talking about? No, it's, it's not whether you come tonight or not. It's whether you start to come tonight and, and are we going to pray? And when we gather for prayer, will we pray with an urgency? Will we gather and pray with a repentant heart? Will we gather and pray for what we need God to do in us, individually, corporately, our families, our lives? I, in, in this church family, in this church family, we are a microcosm of what has happened in our society, what's happened in America. We have lost our children and grandchildren. They've turned away from the faith. They've abandoned the truth that we raised them with, well or not well. They are living as pagans. They are reaping the results of that. They are miserable and unhappy. And if the nation looked like our kids look like and live, then you recognize this is why our nation looks like it is, because it does reflect our families, our brokenness, our issues. And we gather together, and, and too many times we don't pray for salvation. We, we, we think that God will not act. We do not have the faith, as we sang. By faith, this mountain will be moved. Are we praying in faith for mountain-moving things to happen, even in our own families, in our own church family? If we're not praying for those things to happen within our context, then what are our prayers like for our, our state or our nation? I plead with you. There will be no revival or reformation in America until God's people repent and cry out and get on their knees. Revival comes through brokenness and through prayer, and it's a demonstration. Prayer's not enough. Prayer's not the only thing. Prayer's a peace, and it's a missing peace, and we must respond. Last thing. Notice, as we work... As we do all we can, as we step up our game, we should do so always in joy. I will ever sing praises to your name. We need to be happy warriors. There is no place in our society, there's no place in Owasso for an angry, despairing, miserable, grumpy, whining and complaining Christian. So I'll say something my football coach said and I'll clean it up a little bit maybe. You know, we need to suck it up. Suck it up. Get to work. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Quit feeling like everything's against you. Quit moaning and complaining. Let's get to work. Don't come around me despairing and, and complaining. Don't get on Facebook and post all this stuff about how terrible it is and how you... Yeah, okay, good. I don't need any more despair. I've got my own issues. <laughs> we need to encourage each other. We need to, we need to fight with joy. We need to be happy Christians. We need to be happy warriors. We need to sing praises to his name. 
In the worst of times, in the darkest of times, we sing praises to God at the bedside of a dying Christian. We get our hymnals and we sing Amazing Grace. We sing What a Day That Will Be. We sing How Great Thou Art. We sing because in the darkest of times, God is to be praised and we're to be joyful people. As we cry, as we grieve, we do so with joy. We do so in hope. That's the way that Christians respond. And the giving up and the quitting and the despairing and all that moping and, and it's, okay, you had your week. Get over it. Get on with it. Have I been straightforward enough or should I, you know, I didn't use enough sanctified language maybe. I mean, this is where we are. I feel it. I know but our God is a great God, and our response demonstrates our faith, and our prayers demonstrate our faith, and our actions demonstrate our faith. Will we work? Will we pray? Will we trust? Will we band together to face the challenges that are here and the challenges yet to come? I trust we will. Last, in conclusion, cry out to the Lord when you are discouraged. You're going to be discouraged. It comes. So cry out to the Lord. Depend on him to shelter you in every storm. What's your storm? What's your storm today? Not all of us are facing the same storms. I mean, we're facing the same cultural storm. He will shelter you. And then perform your work with a joyful heart because Jesus Christ sits on the throne. Who's on the throne? Jesus Christ is on the throne. Are you joyful? Are you rejoicing in King Jesus? He's on the throne. So we can sing with joy. And so we're going to pray, and that will give the, the worship team time to get up here, but we're going to stand... And we're going to belt out to the best of our ability our joyful trust in Almighty God. And we're going to sing the promise of Romans 8 together, and I hope you enjoy it, but let's close in prayer. Father, it's in these moments that we need you most because we desperately recognize our need, and I pray that we will. I pray that we won't stop recognizing it. And Lord, we need to be woken up. I don't know if this is a wake-up call. I don't know if it's bad enough. We're so tempted to, to be despairing, but then it goes away and the situation eases and we get used to how bad it is and then we just kind of go back to, to doing what we do and it's, that's not a good thing. If what we were doing was good, Lord, keep us faithful and consistent, committed. If not, Lord, wake us up to what we can do together as a church family, in our individual families, in our individual lives, and in the society that you've placed us. Lord, we cry out to you, transform us, revive us, reform us. May we sing with great joy to the great King who rules on the throne this very moment. To the King of kings and Lord of lords, to Jesus Christ, we sing praise. It's in his name we pray. Amen.